0: I'm a free black man Hold up my head, black man Beautiful black man I don't that feel nice, man I love your brother, black man And chase your dreams, black man And get that green black man We the original Black millennials man. thought college would help them get ahead Instead, it is setting them back The median net worth of households with black college graduates in their 30s Has plunged over the past three decades To less than one-tenth the net worth of their white counterparts according to a Wall Street Journal analysis of Federal Reserve data. The drop is driven by skyrocketing student debt and sluggish income growth, which combine to make it difficult to build savings or buy a home. Now, the generation that hoped to close the racial wealth gap is finding it is only growing wider. Rachel Lewis Enton and Shane Shiflet: College was supposed to close the wealth gap for black Americans. The opposite happened. The Wall Street Journal. This is Iron Mike Stedman, and you're listening to Confessions of a Native Son, a Black veteran's perspectives on race, culture, and business. Earlier this month, my good friend, Philip Jones, sent me the Wall Street Journal article referenced above. Since moving to Newark and working with young Black men and women of color, a lot of my beliefs on education have evolved, particularly when it comes to public and higher ed. As an African-American Naval Academy graduate, I was blessed not to have to pay for college. When it came time to get my master's in American studies from Rutgers, Newark, I was able to leverage the GI Bill to cover the majority of the cost. Unfortunately, many young black men and women aren't as fortunate as me. I've seen the reality of black kids returning home from college in debt, disenfranchised, and feeling like they're back where they started. While I understand the income potential for college graduates and those with advanced degrees, I can't justify the absurd cost of education these days. That's why, more often than not, I try to steer my kids away from debt and into colleges that they can either attend for free or for little to no cost. I want everyone to have the opportunity for a fulfilling life, and it doesn't make sense in my eyes to weigh our kids down in debt, all for the sake of vanity. Clearly, others have come to at least recognize the issue in the black community, and I'm excited to discuss it in today's episode where I share some more thoughts on the Wall Street Journal piece. Before you hear from me, though, do me a favor and make sure you subscribe to my newsletter for Confessions of a Native Son at the link in the show notes. I'm publishing our newsletter on Substack, where I release a newsletter every Friday at approximately 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I promise not to spam you. And I love to hear from you in the comments about some of the topics I cover on the show, as well as topics you'd like me to cover either on the podcast or write about in the newsletter in the future. This episode of Confessions of a Native Son is brought to you by my organization, Ironbound Boxing, a nonprofit based in Newark, New Jersey, that provides free amateur boxing training, entrepreneur education, and employment opportunities to Newark youth and young adults. To support the cause, Visit www.ironboundboxing.org and make a donation today. This show is also brought to you by Dope Coffee, a lifestyle brand that pairs urban black culture with innovative product offerings in the coffee industry. We're not a coffee brand for black people. We're a coffee brand that seeks to elevate black culture through a lifestyle of premium coffee and candid conversation. As always, I appreciate you for sharing your time with me. And I hope you enjoy today's show. And we are live. What's going on, everyone? As always, thanks for tuning in to another edition of my show. I'm excited about today's topic, man, because it's something that is at the forefront of my mind uh, college education and, uh, the debt, the burden of debt, uh, for black Americans. And, uh, you know, this discussion couldn't have come at a better time as I've been writing more publicly and being more vocal about uh, my disgruntlement with the way we're educating black youth. Um, and though while I've been focusing more so on the public education system, I'm excited to jump in today talking about, um, you know, higher education. But before I do that, I just want to give y'all a quick update. Um, I've been doing my writing course, Ship 30 for 30, where I have to publish an essay every day for the next 30 days uh, throughout August and into early September. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this course and it's been great for me uh, just to kind of get my thoughts out and sit down and start writing. And I feel like I'm starting to catch my stride with both writing and uh, and podcasting. And I actually published two essays uh, at the time of this this podcast as I'm recording, The first one is uh, George Floyd's America, and the next one is uh, George Floyd's America, where I kind of talk about uh, what, you know, just with the statues and, you know, how we've kind of taken our eyes off the prize in a sense of, you know, um, how a lot of people have used George Floyd to push their own agendas, um, particularly Black talking heads, right? There seems like there's just, you know, tons of money to be thrown at uh, Black commentators to come on platforms and, you know, create nothing but hate and discontent amongst each other. And that's not necessarily uh, something I agree with. And so I wrote about that and then also published an essay this morning entitled uh, The Public Education System Isn't Doing Black Youth Any Favors. And uh, talk about why I feel essentially that, you know, public education is no longer, is not the responsibility of the state and federal government, particularly for black youth and how we need to take that power back. And uh, start educating our children um, in the right way that positions them positions them for long term uh, success in this challenging uh, and competitive uh, economy. And so, uh, check those out, man. Just go to my Twitter at Native Son I actually wanted to have confessions of a Native Son Twitter, but it was too long. And then I tried to do a Black Veteran Speaks, and it was too long as well. So I had to settle for Native Son Speaks. And uh, you can read those essays as well as all the other other essays I'll continue to post um, each and every day by just following me on Twitter. And I'll be sure to include those in the show notes. And I will tell you all too, one of the nice things I I also like about writing these essays is it gives me content to think about for this podcast and for my newsletter on Substack. And so I'll definitely be revisiting a lot of these topics and uh, just want to make sure that I am... You know really thinking critically and challenging myself on this stuff so that I can come in here and articulate it in a way that makes sense um to you all so you know it's just exciting again it's just an exciting time to be a content creator and uh just start to you know really um challenge myself in some of my thinking now, what I want to talk about today is uh, an an article I got from my buddy Philip Jones uh from the Wall Street journal it's entitled College was supposed to close the wealth gap for black Americans. The opposite has happened. And it references that black college graduates in their 30s have lost ground over three decades, the result of student debt and sluggish economic growth. And before I do a deep dive in this article, I guess I should go ahead and start off by giving you all my confession, which is that I don't believe obtaining a college degree with tons of student debt looming over you is winning. I just don't believe it anymore. Um, and I've been fortunate enough because I went to school and I never really had to uh, have any student debt. You know, I went to the Naval Academy, which was for free with the exception, of, you know, me having to go serve our country and uh, deploy to Afghanistan, et cetera. So to some extent, it wasn't free by any means, but uh, I was able to benefit from the GI Bill. And when I, um, you know, when I left the service, I ended up going to school to get my master's in American studies from Rutgers, Newark. And because I um, went to a service academy, I wasn't able to get all of my tuition covered, but um, I was able to get a large percentage of it covered. So I think in all, I probably spent about $10,000 for my master's degree, which is not bad at all compared to what some people are spending and uh, racking up all this kind of debt. But for me, you know, even when I was going to school to get my master's, like I have always been very, I've always, let me rephrase it because it's not true. I have recently gone accustomed to the fact that like I'm an autodidact, I'm a self-taught learner. So I've, I've always, I've been very passionate about learning stuff and following my curiosities and less about what somebody tells me I should learn. And so again, that's why I went to Rutgers to study American studies because it was just something I was super curious about. And I'm so thankful I did because, because of that degree, you know, I feel confident in my ability to come on here and talk about a lot of the, uh, the topics and stuff. But in reality, I mean, I didn't necessarily have to go to school to get that. I I just, you know, I did it because I wanted to learn more about the subject. But as an autodidact, man, I have a whole different way of learning now. I just get on the Internet. I listen to podcasts. I read articles. I read newsletters. There's just so much opportunity to learn uh, thanks to the Internet that it, what makes you wonder, like, is the traditional college education obsolete, particularly at the value Of it now. I mean, they're just charging so much money for people to go to school. And it goes back to, you know, um, a thought I've been thinking about with regards to capitalism of just, why do we have to monetize everything? Like, are we holding our society back by just putting such astronomical cost on higher ed? Um, And is this thing just a vanity metric now? Is it a luxury degree? And again, my self-awareness is like, it's easy for me to talk about this, as somebody that already has a undergraduate degree from a very prestigious university and a master's degree. But, uh, you know, I just kind of look back and I do some self-reflection and, you know, a lot of the stuff I know now I learned outside of the classroom and you meet so many people and they say a lot of what they do day to day, very few of them actually utilize anything that they did in if that they learned in college, you know, we try to justify to ourselves why these expenses made sense, you know, the community and our peers and everything else. But when you kind of, I don't know, you can kind of separate yourself from it and just open up to other opportunities and say, is there, would there have been a cheaper, cost effective way for me to get the same education? And you'd start to make yourself go through that kind of mental model um, or think through it. Then I think uh, more often than not, you'll see an abundance of opportunity to educate yourself through the local libraries, through the internet. And, uh, you know, again, we just keep falling into this trap. Of debt, which I think is a trap within itself, man. So many people out here are stuck. They can't, you know, follow their passions just because they have all this pressure over their head. They have this mortgage. They have these student loans. And we're supposed to be a free society, right? Where you will be able to, you know, choose how you spend your days. But so many people feel like they've lost that internal locus of control that they no longer have control over their lives, and that they're just kind of reacting. And what's even more burdensome about it is sometimes people that go to the highest to the more elite schools, they can find themselves more trapped than anyone just because they have all that, all that debt. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a young man who just graduated from an elite law school. And I know one of the things he was expressing to me is that he owes like $1,800 a month in student loans to pay back that debt. And it's like, damn, man, when you're, you already, you're already in the whole 1800 a month without, um, rent, utilities, anything else. So at a minimum, right, you have to work a job that brings in, I don't know, upwards of 7k a month, 10k a month, 15k a month. And I know that's that's why you go to school, right? You go to rack up that debt so you can earn those jobs. But then they just get so much um you just have so much debt and you just feel trapped and so then you have to settle and say, "Well, I got to go work this job for 3 or 4 years to pay it off." And I'm all about sacrificing. You know, I did it in the Naval Academy. Right. I got my schooling for free and I had to sacrifice by serving our country in the military. Um, But, you know, again, just as I get older, man, I just want people to have a enjoyable, enjoyable and meaningful life, whatever that means for them. And in order to do that, I just think sometimes we have to avoid a lot of the traps that were placed on us. And so, you know, this conversation, a lot of stuff that's been swirling in my head, I think it's perfect timing with this uh, Wall Street Journal article. And so let's go ahead and uh, jump right into it. And uh, the preference of the article was essentially that Black America has been promised that college is supposed to close this racial wealth gap, you know, that uh, it allows you to ascend the economic totem pole. And maybe that was true, you know, maybe in the 60s and before that, maybe even early 70s. But with college costs just skyrocketing, you know, I think a lot of Black people are starting to feel jaded about um, higher ed, you know, on one end of the house, one end of the spectrum. It does allow for social mobility, but it comes with this looming debt that's over your head. And how can we build generational wealth when we spend our entire lives paying off debt, paying off the debt of our houses and our mortgages, paying off our student debt? Um, I'm reading, uh, I, got, uh, I took some notes and one of the things the article says is that 84% of college educated black ho- households in their 30s have student debt. And that the median net worth of Black college graduates is eighty four hundred dollars, which is down from fifty k in like the nineteen seventies. And so it almost looks like we're going backwards in terms of building our like our net worth. Um, And it is funny, right? Because you know, growing up in the South, what did success look like for us as like Black youth, or what was success pushed upon us by our parents, particularly in the Black middle class? It was like go to college. Uh, get a good job and, you know, have a family and stuff and that like you're successful. But I think as the world's kind of opened up, thanks to the internet and just how we're able to get connected with each other more and see the abundance of opportunity that's available all over the world. um, That's just not enough for a lot of people. You know, I think the thing, I think the currency people want the most, and maybe we've always wanted it. We just didn't know necessarily how to articulate or how to go out and get it is really this freedom, you know, this freedom to spend our days, how we choose this freedom to travel, this freedom to do what fills us up. I mean, the ultimate, um, currency is freedom now. And a lot of us as black people, we rack up debt and we don't have the freedom that we wish we did or that we think we're deserving of. And in the article, there's a couple that's looking to, um, you know, retire by the time she, they're like 45. It's like this married couple. And one of the things she says is that all her friends think they're wealthy. What they don't realize is that she has like uh, the wife has one hundred twenty thousand dollars in student debt looming over her head. Um, and that now, you know, it's like, yeah, they're they, they look wealthy from the outside, but she doesn't feel like she'll ever be able to pay off that one hundred and twenty K debt, not even paying down the the loan, not even paying down the principal, just kind of making these payments month over month. And then you think about our educators, right, that go to the highest levels of education, getting their master's, getting their doctorates. And I'm God willing, not paying for their doctorates, but getting their master's and then working in, in public education, getting paid 50, 60 thousand dollars a year, but then having a hundred thousand dollar debt. And it's like, why do we do this? You know, it's like, why do we fall into these traps? Um, and I think this conversation goes back to, uh, you know, the podcast Vanity Metrics, because People kind of tell us that we need to, you know, when I was transitioning out of the military and I was working at a private school, you know, the, the, the headmaster straight up let me know that they can hire whoever they want. You don't have to have a teaching certification certification to teach at that school. Um, And so, you know, I taught like a leadership class there like one semester. Um, But if I wanted to go into the classroom, I wouldn't have had to have a teaching certification. And it's like, it's like this pay to play mentality and like capitalism Um, That keeps tripping up black people. And because we got to, you know, if we don't have the money to pay, then we got to go in debt to get it. Now we can play. But now we have all this loan over this, this, these loans over our head. And it's just, it's, it's annoying. And, you know, I'm a contrarian when I think like this, right? Like it's, I'm just at the point now where I'm getting more confident in my thoughts because for the longest time you think about this stuff and you view the world through a certain lens and people judge you or they think you're crazy or you, just because you look at things different than the way they are, right? Like I'm looking towards the future and I'm looking in a different path than most of the people that are living um, in the day-to-day now. And, you know, it just does not make sense for me for us to rack up all this debt. And it's like, how do we build that generational wealth then? And for me, um, when I think about what does generational wealth look like In a capitalistic economy, it has more to do with controlling what labor than anything else. I mean, you look at a lot of the companies um, or you look at a lot of the the wealthy people in this country, right? You got venture capitalists, right? The angel investors, the people that are basically able to invest in companies, which is in itself labor. Whether you have an app that's building, you know, that's doing work for people or you own a, a, a company, you know, doing some private equity deals or whatever, right? At the end of the day, you're still lo- owning labor. You're owning output. Um, and that's how people are generating wealth because they can pass that on. They're buying companies, they're selling companies, they're keeping that um, that money in, you know, stocks and bonds. I mean, what is it really? It's really o- owing um, other, people's, other people's labor. And so to me, when I think about like, Mike, what is your plan to build generational wealth? If that's something I'm even interested in, it's really going to come down to, you know, entrepreneurship. And people think, oh, well, if I buy a house or real estate is a great way to build generational wealth as well. And while it can be, if you hold on to it for a long period of time and then you pass it on or whatever, but that's a, I don't know, for me, that's just not what I'm interested in. Um, I'm just not necessarily interested in real estate. Like a lot of people are. Um, I just don't want to, uh, I believe in creating leverage, obviously, um, and you could create leverage in a bunch of different ways. Right now, I'm creating my leverage through thought leadership and podcasting and, you know, I call it talent stacking. I got that from Scott Adams, where I just kind of learned all these skills that I've been able to put together in entrepreneurial ventures and in a specific uh, skill set that, you know, when I, I I feel like I, I have this opportunity to work with people in unique ways. Right now, it's podcasting and brand strategy, but who knows what it's going to be in the future. But that's where I create my leverage and, you know, long-term creating leverage in the form of, you know, getting my, my investing in entrepreneurial endeavors, et cetera. But that's just me, you know, and there are people that do it different, like people that are really leaning into like the real estate and everything. But one of the ways that I don't think we are going to create leverage is to keep racking up student debt, going to work for the man, um, whoever the man is and not building our own set of equity, you know, because then you don't have anything to pass on. And the, the challenge for this generation, for our generation, when I say this generation, I mean our generation too, is how do we separate ourselves from the vanity metrics and focus on the purest form of education, which is learning what we need to not only survive, but to thrive. And an example of it is, is I signed up for this writing course, I paid $450, I think it was $450, to do a 30-day writing course. We got modules online and everything. And it's forced me to actually do the work as well, publishing every single day, having classes online via Zoom. And like that's my education on writing. You know, I listened to an audio course on podcast production. That's how I was able to tighten up my podcast stuff. But to be honest, I'd use a little YouTube. I called people. You know, education takes many forms these days. And it's like, why are we not just like, why are we not teaching black people to understand the value of creating your own kind of education, you know, and really building your own skill set and putting that talent stack together so that you have this ability to generate um, value, even if you're an employee or you're an entrepreneur, without the burden of student debt looming over your head. Um, because as far as I'm concerned, right, you will, if you're smart and you invest and you save money and do all this other stuff, eventually you can come out of the hole of debt. But why go into 120K debt in the first place if you don't have to? You know, there's better ways out there now. And don't just take my word for it, right? There's an entrepreneur, an angel investor that I, that I listened to. Um, I read his book and I listened to his podcast called Naval Ravi Kant, um, he's got an episode on how to get rich. Just Google it in the Google apps. Um, And, you know, he basically said on a podcast that today's education is obsolete in the age of the Internet. There's just so much opportunity to learn and to grow. And that obviously, like, you don't even need to memorize stuff anymore. You've got an iPhone. You've got access to the Internet. You can look up stuff. Now, granted, sometimes you'll find yourself in a timely situation. and You won't necessarily have the opportunity to look up stuff. But by and large, I feel like 80, 90% of the time, you don't have to memorize something. You can just go search it. But again, we're doing stuff the old way. Why? Because that's the way we've always done it. And these educational institutions are making money. And when I think about like the future of education, where it's headed, you know, I think COVID has done us as challenging as COVID has been for a lot of people um, in our community. And God knows with the long-term ramifications. But one of the things it did was it forced us to see education for what it really is online. You know, these luxury brands, their schools and their classes were just as shitty as the state schools, you know? And the fact of the matter is that like, you're paying for the same thing. One is just positioned as a luxury brand and has a network and the other one is not. But in terms of the information, the education itself, it's the same thing. So it's like, is there a shorter way to build a a network? You know, maybe instead of paying 120K for school, you go out and do a podcast and you interview 100 people you're interested in connecting with, spend an hour with them. That's a great way to build a network, you know, or you start a blog and you get contributors and you reach out and you connect with people. That's another great way to build a network. So there's, there's tons of opportunity to do it. And I'll tell you what I have done, though. Again, I signed up for the 30 for 30 course. That's one course I've done. I did a brand strategy course with section four. It was like $750, right? Um, And section four is uh, Scott Galloway's brand, um, the NYU marketing professor who's been going on a tear about higher education and how it's on its march to the graveyard. Um, And, you know, Scott actually donated um, some money to our nonprofit. and I really appreciate him for that. But I took his brand strategy course and it was great. Um, and it's got online modules, it's videos, you know, we had, uh, live lectures and then we had our little breakout rooms and groups, and then you have to submit a final project. And I did all that within the course of three weeks. And guess what? I'm still using the stuff I learned in that brand strategy course. I take classes online. Uh, what's the guy's name? Donald Miller building a story brand. He started a, I think it's a small business university or uh, business made simple. Is what it's called. And he's got books and he's got a course. And I think I was paid like $260 for the year for it. And I take those little classes. And then I have my business coach with the Lions Pride, uh, Bill Watkins. And we've got online modules, everything from flawless acceleration on your sales and uh, everything from uh, putting together your your measurements in your business and building a brand. There's a whole story on the brand playbook in there. And uh, I do that. So like again, there's just so much opportunity to learn what you need to know. And, uh, I, I think part of it is just getting out of our own heads and telling ourselves like, what does education mean to us? Um, and being okay with that and not looking at it through the lens of anyone else, except who we are, what drives us and what we need to learn. Um, because again, life is too short to try to be competing with other people. And looking at ourselves through the lens of other people, instead of just trying to figure out a way to um, maximize our opportunities each and every day. So this is a little shorter episode um, again, and maybe I'll get a guest on. Hopefully I'll get Philip Jones to come on and we can do a little bit of deep dive on this. Um, but if you're out there and you're listening and you're like, Mike, I would love to talk about you know this higher education thing with you or specifically talk about this article, you know, let me know. I would love to have you on the platform to discuss it. Or maybe we do, uh, uh, you submit a, a newsletter and I share it on our newsletter for uh, Confessions of a Native Son. But uh, I, I probably read an essay about this too, if I'm being honest, um, just because it's a better way for me to kind of think through this stuff. But we gotta do something. And and again, you know, for me, right, I'm just thinking in the sense of like, how can black people, how can I lift as many people as I can, right, um, in the community that I can impact the most, which is, and the community that I'm most passionate about impacting, which are helping other uh, Black people, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? I serve Black and Latino at my boxing gym in Newark. Um, and this is kind of on a separate topic, right? This has kind of changed my perception of what does it mean to be, uh, what, how do you be for people of color and who's in that group, et cetera. Um, but that's for a separate topic where I'm going to talk about my Latino brothers and sisters And uh, the commonalities I found working with them and just kind of how I see the landscape now. But, uh, you know, I just want to see more Americans winning, obviously, but also want to see Black people winning more at scale. And I just don't see us at scale. And so when I start sharing my thoughts in this way, these are thoughts for us to win and compete at the highest levels at scale. And we can't do it uh, playing in the old system that created the wealth gap in the first place. So this is a short and sweet episode. Let me know your thoughts. Love for love to hear for you. And uh, do me a favor by uh, sharing them and subscribing them on my uh, newsletter on Substack at the link in the show notes. Like I say, now, podcasters, podcasts, and writers, right? We are what we repeatedly do. So uh, you'll listen to me. You'll, hear, you'll get a newsletter from me once a week on Fridays at noon. So make sure you're checking that spam folder. And I release a podcast every Thursday. Um, so be sure to check the link in the show notes and, uh, um, let me know what topics you like me to cover either on the show or write about in the newsletter. So, and also make sure y'all check my Twitter, um, for these essays that I'm writing. So I appreciate y'all. I love y'all until next time. Peace, love, and have a great rest of your week black man hold up my head black man beautiful black man i don't that feel nice man i love your brother black man and chase our dreams black man and get that cream black man we the original man